How Believers Mature, and this is from uh, H. Laverne Schaefer uh, in his books of Maturing of the Spiritual Christian. All Christian growth or maturing is in the realm of experiential knowledge, which is intellectual knowledge put into practice so that one gains actual experience based on that knowledge. Head knowledge then becomes knowledge related to experience. And that's a wonderful, succinct statement of how knowledge works. You can go to a university, we talked about this last week, and uh, learn uh, in that university, and you have a lot of theoretical information about how to do something. And a lot of places are hiring based on this theoretical knowledge, right? They want this theoretical knowledge so that they can mold individuals rather than having people that know how to do a job because they'd have to pay those people a little bit more, right? Uh, but there's a difference between just knowing how to do something in theory as opposed to knowing how to do something in function. And we can see that all throughout scripture and it comes from directly over from our Greek word oida, which you guys have learned before. You can have a head knowledge concerning things and then you get that uh, experiential knowledge from actually putting those things that you learn into practice. And that's a pretty good segue into what we're talking about here today as we think of walking in light. And this is our second uh, uh, sermon concerning this matter. And so last month we talked about walking in light and we looked at it from the perspective of Peter, or excuse me, of John over in First uh, John 1, 7. And so... Uh, when we look at John, he had this experience with the Lord, right? And he saw him side by side walking and living out what it looked like to live an animated life in human flesh. And then he actually saw a manifestation of that inward light in the Mount of, of Transfiguration. And so he's speaking to it from one perspective. But we also have Paul who's able to speak of this matter as well. Now, Paul, uh, having a little bit of a different experience, now look at what he says to the Ephesian saints. He says, for you were sometimes darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Now, how can he speak to these individuals uh, concerning this matter? We're talking about Paul, who used to be, talk about walking in darkness. What was he doing prior to salvation? He was walking in a lot of darkness. He was persecuting the church. He had experience in walking in darkness. But he also had a, a transforming experience with the light of the Lord. I recall him in the book of Acts saying that he saw a light, a physical light, that was above the light of the noonday sun. Now, have you ever tried to look up at the sky and, and look at the sun? It's pretty bright, right? <laughs> Think about a light that's, that's more uh, extreme than that light. Now, this is not necessarily what transformed uh, Paul to be able to speak to these individuals concerning how to walk in light. I believe it was something else. Go with me over to Galatians chapter 1. And this is still uh, introducing the topic. And this is what you call free since it's not in your notes. And it says here, and, and think of it here, you're looking at Paul and dealing with these Galatian saints and ones that are dealing with him 
and he's ran into this before, is if there's some authority that's a little bit higher than what he's, he's speaking from, uh, man-wise. Now, we know that God's a higher authority, but these individuals, he had to remind them that it wasn't through other men that he got the information that he got. It was through God and God alone. In verse 11, he says, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached from me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, we could say, oh, God just downloaded some information into the mind of Paul. No, he's going to go a little bit further than that. He had a personal interaction with the Lord. After the Lord's ascension, mind you. So this is a very, uh, uh, you talk about experiences that you would remember. This would be one. In verse 13, for you have heard my conversation in, past, uh, in, in times past in the Jews' religion. How that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. You see, Paul wasn't just out to stop a message, Right. We have people today that are out to stop certain messages and want to stop people from getting information across to other people. Paul was willing to go a little bit further than just saying, I don't want you saying these things. He was willing to eliminate individuals who spoke a message that he didn't agree with. And this shows you where human nature can go to. In verse 14, and profited in the Jews religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being exceedingly zealous of the tradition of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. You see, it wasn't from any person that he received this information. And we just talked about how you receive facts and put those into experience. Usually human beings receive those facts from other human beings, right? And then they go and walk them out and live them in practice. He said, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. In verse 17, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him for 15 days. You see what's being inferred there? What's being inferred is that the information didn't come from any man. He said he got it by revelation uh, back in verse 12. And where does he say he got that revelation? He went out to Arabia. And the inference is that the Lord himself gave this information to Paul. And so when he speaks in Ephesians chapter 4, or excuse me, in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8 and says that you were sometimes or you used to be darkness, but now are you light, walk as children of light. This is from information directly from where the source of light comes from. He's giving you information that you need to know from the one that possesses light and is able to uh, allow us to walk in light. And so the admonitions of personal uh, conduct, and, and, uh, and I say Peter here, I meant John. I don't know how I keep getting off on that um, in, in your notes. Uh, but the admonition of personal conduct uh, in light, uh, the, they come from two different perspectives. One from John and one from uh, uh, Paul. 
gotten off of my notes here. Bear with me one second. No, oh, that is the right note. Okay. <laughs> um, and so we see the perspective of uh, from John is that John saw light lived out in the flesh through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And go through the Gospels, who was there most of the time? You can look at uh, three individuals who are always there with the Lord. Now, the disciples were normally there as part of the 12, but three individuals were always with him. You see Peter, you see James, and you see John. And so he's able to speak upon this basis. It really annoys me that I kept putting Peter there in that uh, uh, text, so you guys might want to correct your notes there. Uh, uh, John also was saved during Christ's earthly ministry and was able to see the transition uh, into grace. And John only was only able to walk out light uh, re to reflect the life after uh, the Lord's departure. And so he wouldn't have seen it in the same way that Paul did. Now, uh, from Paul's perspective, Paul saw light uh, transform his life when he was in darkness. He saw it. <laughs> When he says that you used to be darkness, you know, we say a lot of things to people that we don't have experience in. Right. And we give people our, our opinion or what we think should happen based off of uh, the information that we've gathered over the years. It might not necessarily be through personal experience. Paul is speaking from personal experience, from having been transformed out of darkness and into the light of the Lord. And so when he says this, he's giving a much better understanding of how this transformation can happen. And Paul is given revelation regarding how to live in light. And so remember what we saw there in Galatians. As we look at what we're going to look at today, you see this admonition is given from Paul to these Ephesian saints. And a lot of what was going on within that church, you see in the previous chapters, a little conflict that he's speaking to to tell them to stop walking in darkness. As you look at a believer, you've been rescued and saved out from darkness. Now, what is your response to what's been done on behalf of you? Are you going to walk in darkness or are you going to walk in light? Are you going to plug in that old refrigerator that's light bulbs on the inside probably don't work, not keeping your food as cold and fresh as it should? Or are you going to plug in the new version and use that one that works perfectly. And so the choice is ours. Uh, as you see, this admonition is based on grace provisions that have been provided to the grace believer. You've been given everything you need for every situation in this life. And so have I. Are we utilizing these provisions? And it's based on the choice of the individual. And you see the contrast, darkness versus light, flesh versus spirit position versus living in the world. Are you going to let the enemies dictate how you live in this life? Or are we going to be living this life dictated by who we are in Christ? The choice is ours. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, we're grateful for this day and uh, grateful for the opportunity that we uh, do have to uh, live out this representation of who we are in Christ. And we know that who we are in the flesh is abhorrent. That who we are in the flesh is ones that would be uh, living according to darkness. We're grateful that the uh, grace or through the grace has been provided through your son, Jesus, that we have the opportunity to live in a different way. 
And as we're living in our position and who we are in Christ, your light is able to be seen through us because of the life that your son provides. We pray that we would be living in light of that. And uh, again, where we fall short, we pray that you would, uh, or, or we would get back to where we need to be in order to uh, give the, you the glory that you deserve. All these things we pray for, it's in your son's name. Amen. All right, and so uh, the element of potential darkness is an impediment to walking in life, light. Uh, as you look at it and look at this scripture and look at the contrast of what's said there by Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, you see that there is the potential for walking in darkness. Now, I know a lot of the people that you see teaching, uh, one group specifically is going to say that you can't be walking in darkness and be saved. You can't be sinning and be saved. There is no carnal Christian. There are only people who are not saved that are doing these things. And where individuals who are saved slip up, oh, it's just a mistake. <laughs> they didn't mean to do that thing. No, it's sin. And believers are able to sin. And when you sin, you are walking in darkness and not in light. It's pretty black and white, as it were. Uh, and so we see the introduction of darkness in the world. And we didn't we touched on this last month, but didn't really go deeply into it. But as we look at darkness, we look at it as an absence of light. And we did get a touch upon the fact that if there were no sin in the world, there would be no darkness. I will have you know, because you would only have the light that emanates from the persons of the Godhead. And so darkness comes as a result of sin. The things on earth that do not possess God's light are dead. Now, how can I say that? Because you only have spiritual life as you have the indwelling of the sun. And if you don't have that indwelling of the sun, then you are indeed spiritually dead like our daddy Adam. Uh, we all have that, that common father who... Uh, uh, sin. And so as you look at the origin of darkness, we see the uh, original sin came from Satan. And we won't go there. We're just going to run through these things. But if you guys want to go back on your own, the notes are there. Uh, we see that Satan originated his sin in Isaiah 14, 12. Where what did he do? He said, I'm going to ascend my throne to be equal with God. I'm not satisfied with what God has given me. I want more. <laughs> and he he didn't just think this in his mind. He attempted to do it. And there were results that came from that. And so Satan's sin produced the first darkness. Uh, the Lord expressed to Paul, as we see in, in uh, Acts 26 and verse 18, that he would use him to save people from darkness to light and from the authority of Satan. And so we see this uh, uh, d directly correlates to Satan in that context. Go with me over there really quickly to Acts uh, 26 and verse 18. And we will pick it up at, uh, um, uh, let's pick it up at verse 13. And he's speaking to King Agrippa here. And, and telling him what happened and how he came to where he is uh, today. But he goes all the way through his conversion on the road to Damascus. And at verse 13, it says, At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light 
from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for the, this purpose to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things uh, which will, I will uh, appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the authority, that word for power, there's our authority word, of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. You see, uh, Satan originated this darkness and is now in authority over it. And you can see this uh, well in operation, not just here, but in other places. And we'll get to that uh, here shortly. Now, we also see that the spiritual warfare of the believer is said to be against the rulers of the darkness over in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. Now, here we have our uh, verse that shows you how to overcome Satan. And really, you can expand it. Uh, we don't often talk about this when you're thinking about it, but not everybody that's being attacked in a satanic way is being attacked by Satan. <laughs> I, I don't think that we're all important enough for Satan to use his time and resources on us. Don't bloat your opinion of who you are and what God is doing with you. Now, certainly it could happen, and I think it happens with individuals from time to time, but most of the time, the satanic attack that you're going to face is going to be from one of Satan's minions. And so we see it uh, in this context. Pick it up in verse 10. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the methods of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And so you see here, um, uh, not just Satan, but also the demons are uh, at view here. And really, we see, and we talked about this before, individuals that are doing things, but there are things being manipulated behind the scenes that we can't see. And that's where you have to focus your energy. It's not the person in front of you. It's not the thing that's happening or, 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 or that's happening to you. It's the things that are happening behind the scenes uh, that we don't see. Now, we see that uh, Satan's sin also spread to others, uh, and we would say through Adam. Uh, and so you could uh, see that in the next uh, uh, point, the advancement of sin to man. Uh, Satan introduced the potential for life apart from God. And so as we, if we were to go back into Genesis, and what was his temptation that he was trying to tempt Eve with? That there was something better. God is holding out on you. There is something better that he has not, he's not given you. He's not given you this knowledge. And he doesn't want you to eat from that tree because you're going to attain that knowledge. And it's almost the same thing that he went through in his own sin and originating that 
that individual sin, but we know that, that Eve succumbed to it. And so Adam and Eve's disobedience caused them uh, selves and their seed to be subject to darkness. They were warned uh, that a consequence of partaking of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil would lead to spiritual and physical death. And you can go back to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 17 for that. And we've established that uh, life apart from God is, is, is death. They uh, were tempted to act independent of God by eating of the fruit. And we see that in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 5. And then they were stripped as a result of their act. And what we believe, and uh, again, uh, as you see this, Adam in uh, Genesis 1 and verse 26 was made in the image of God. And so on the outside, there was something about Adam that resembled God. And what I believe it is, is light. He was emanating a light uh, source that could easily be seen. And when you get over to chapter 3 and you see his punishment, what does it say concerning Adam and Eve? It says they knew that they were what? Naked. That word for naked is our word for stripped. That word for stripped has the idea that they were stripped of something. And we can already establish that they didn't have clothes on because they wouldn't put them on after. And so uh, I would say that they were stripped of this light or outward manifestation of light. Now, the production of darkness in the world. Uh, we see that uh, the rule of darkness, as we saw over in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 5, is orchestrated by Satan uh, and his demons. Now, there's a potential, uh, as we see in verse uh, 6, excuse me, Ephesians 6 and chapter 12, uh, the potential of manipulation from demonic beings uh, through humans. And remember, we saw that word for, or those words for principalities and powers. Uh, and the leadership of the world uh, uh, pertaining to darkness belonged to this present evil age. So go back over with me to uh, Ephesians 6 and verse 12. I think you guys are still there. I am. Uh, but in verse 12, it says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers and against the rulers of the darkness of this world. That word for world is age. And as you look at this age and how it's constructed in which Satan has been allowed to have power and authority to do what he does in this world, we can call it the present evil age. And indeed, it's called that in other parts of Scripture. Um, and, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. And so as you, as you look at this, I lost my place here. Uh, the spiritual uh, things that be are belonging to the malignantly evil one, we understand that Satan is running and organizing and controlling this world system. And he has set people up in high places. And you wonder, and the pastor has talked about this before, how do people get in some of the positions that they're in? How does a person rise from obscurity and not of any lineage that has any authority in this world and get to that position? Well, I'll show you how. Go with me over to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2. And when we get to our last point, we're going to come back and summarize these chapters leading up to verse or, or chapter five. But in chapter one, you see what we've been given and provided by God through grace. And as you get to chapter two, he talks about what we've been saved from and the condition that we were in. 
And we're going to come back to that because as you get to that verse, it says you were sometimes darkness. I want you to remember back to here, back to uh, chapter two and verse one. And here it says, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. You see, we were born into this world and it looks like when you're a baby that that's just a cute, cuddly baby. And it's full of such life and such beauty. And it's not a, a wrong thing to think. Babies, most uh, babies are beautiful. I'm not going to say most babies are beautiful. <laughs> babies are beautiful. <laughs> General statement. Um, but I want you to know that that little baby that was born was born with a little baby sin nature. And you might not see it right just then, right? It doesn't necessarily manifest itself. The baby can't control that he has to cry because he's hungry, because it's the only way he can communicate. But as you start seeing that little baby get older, maybe a little younger than Cohen, you start to see that little sin nature manifest itself, right? Starts to take possession of things and say, mine, <laughs> and doesn't want to share things with other individuals. Starts to hit other little kids and, and do things that it ought not be doing. And you understand that that baby's born with a sin nature. So we were born dead. We were indeed stillborn. When you were born into this world, you were born spiritually dead. And you have to be made alive. We're going to talk about that later. In verse 2, where in times past you walked. And this is for everybody that was born into this world. You walked. All of your conduct, all of your decisions, everything that you do was according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit now working in the children or really there our word for sons of disobedience. You see, Satan sets his persons up in different places and they set the rhythm for how everyone else should be walking and conducting their life. Uh, Adeline and I, and sometimes Cohen, when he's not wandering around, are reading this uh, series of books of A Wrinkle in Time. And you get to this one part in the first book and it talks about this planet where everybody is under the control of a single entity. This brain that's just pulsating out to everyone else and everyone in this 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 planet marches in a rhythm that's according to that brain. So the three uh, heroes that go there, they try to go contrary to what that brain is telling them to do. But the power of that brain is so powerful that it almost gets them to walk in accordance with that brain as well. And I think of Satan every time I read that book and come to that spot. He wants you to march in order with the rest of the people in the world. And he sets people up in every walk of life so that you'll do so. Right. Why do we have commercials and have people telling you to do this or to do that? Why do you have all of these people, politicians, actors, entertainers, set up in different parts of this world system to tell you this is how you should conduct yourself. And what happens? You march to it. You guys don't march to it, but most people march to it just like a dog whistle is blowing, and that's what you do. It's because of this right here. Verse 3, among whom also you, we had our conversation, our manner of life, in times past, 
in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature born ones of wrath, even as others. You see, everybody in this world system that's born into it, if you're not saved, the wrath of God is hanging over your head. You have an appointment, as it were, and someday in time with the wrath of God. But, verse 4, we'll come back to that in a moment, but God, he's the key. Now, as we see, uh, <clears throat> why, I keep losing my place. <laughs> this is the satanic structure that's set up. Uh, we see the Lord uh, recognize the authority of darkness. I think I skipped past where I'm supposed to. The satanic structure uh, of darkness has authority over those that are on the earth. And so the Lord recognized this in Luke chapter 22 and verse 53, uh, where he saw that uh, the Jews, uh, him being delivered into the hands of the Jews was in line with this authority of darkness that was constructed. Uh, and then the believer is moved from the authority of darkness when he is saved. And you can see it in this context, too. But go back with me over to Colossians chapter one and verse 13. So as we're reading through, hopefully you're seeing this contrast that's, that's set up of uh, what's been provided to us. And it's going to culminate when we get back to Ephesians chapter 5 and you see this darkness uh, and light. But in, in verse uh, 12, he says, Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet or sufficient to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in what? Light, who hath delivered us from the authority of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. Now, we're in the kingdom of God, a salvation kingdom, but we're also in this kingdom where Christ is the high priest. And guess what? You all under him are priests and have the ability to offer up spiritual sacrifices unto God. Isn't that an amazing thing? There were people all throughout time who would have loved to be able to go directly to God. There were blockades between the Jews and God. Even the high priest who could go in once a year, he had to go in there very carefully and do the right thing exactly the way he was supposed to do it. He didn't dare look on that holy of holies. He just sprinkled the blood over it. He wasn't looking at it. But we can go boldly to the throne of God. We have access to him in that way. And so this is an unbelievable thing of grace that's been given to us. We see that uh, the satanic structure of darkness produces works through individuals. We see in a couple places where it cites works of darkness. Go with me over, uh, since we're close to Ephesians 5 and verse 11. So we're going to get into this a little bit here in a moment, but just quickly as we're reading through. It says, and, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather, excuse me, reprove them. Uh, this idea of testing them to see what they are uh, or where they come from. And, and actually, this is, I'm sorry, the wrong word for that. This is a Lego, uh, which has the idea of kind of calling them out uh, for what they are. And so you see this here. And then back over in Romans chapter 12, 13 and verse 12, we see uh, also these works that come from darkness. Romans chapter 13 and verse 12. 
pick it up at verse 10. He says, love worketh no ill toward his neighbor, to his neighbor. Therefore, love is a fulfilling of the law. And that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provisions of fulfill the lust of the flesh or fulfill, make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. And so you see this uh, works of darkness look a lot like you living out your flesh, right? The parts of the flesh and these desires that we have uh, it comes right back to that. Now, as Satan is constructed over this system of darkness, he has control to where you're doing the things of the flesh that he desires and not just haphazardly doing the things that you want to do. Satan wants to control and dictate every aspect of your life. Uh, and so he would uh, do that if you would allow him. Next thing we see is the, the participants in darkness. We see that the unsaved live in darkness, and that's where they are. Uh, we were there right there with them, as we saw over in Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, light in man, again, comes from the source of light, and man being born into sin is born into darkness, as we've discussed there before. Salvation and the subsequent indwelling of Christ is required to produce light. You cannot produce light because you have no life within you if you don't have the indwelling Christ. Uh, hopefully, I've said that enough times that it resonates with everyone here. Uh, the believer chooses to walk in darkness. If you are a believer and you believe the facts of the gospel, that Christ died on the cross for your sins and was buried and rose again, and you are walking in darkness, that is your choice. Because God has already made complete provision for you to walk in light. Uh, but he's not going to override what you desire to do. Uh, I like the way Brother Don said it this morning. God is not some dictator sitting on high trying to dictate every facet of your life and how you walk. He has provided the construct for how you're supposed to live. He has given the provisions. He has even given you the way to do it by the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now it's up to you what you're going to do with that. Do you choose to walk in light or choose to walk in darkness. Uh, again, the believer is given the indwelling Christ by birth into the family of God, and subsequently you receive a new nature, and the believer can elect to live in the old nature, being then placed into darkness rather than light. And the believer, uh, top of page three, succumbing to darkness impedes the walk in light. Now, look at some of these elements of a potential contrast between light and darkness. Uh, we saw over in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8 that the contrast of light and darkness uh, is given in this uh, admonition to the Ephesian saints. But there are several places where we see these words uh, for light and darkness in the same verses and they appear to be in contrast. One of those is over in John chapter 1 and verse 5. It says there that light is contrasted with darkness in the coming of the sun into the world. So go with me over there. In John chapter 1 and verse 5. 
thought someone stole my water. All right. And here we see, <clears throat> in the beginning, in verse 1, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was light of uh, uh, the light of man. Verse 5, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. You see, the sun came into this world, showed and exposed himself to be light, and none of them could say anything against it. And yet, what happened? They killed him. The prince of light, the one that provides light to everyone. Uh, and so there we see a definite contrast of light and darkness. Also over in John chapter 3 and verse 19, we see that light was introduced to the world, and it's expressly stated what we just said here, uh, in the form of the sun, and men rejected it. John chapter 3 and verse 19. Pick it up at John 3, 16, just for those that love the verse. And it says there, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, his only begotten Son, that whosoever or everyone the one believing into him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not in him is condemned already, because he believe, he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is condemnation, or a word for judgment, that light came into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. You see, you don't have the Lord and, and, and the ability for him to change your perspective concerning darkness, you will do dark things and participate in darkness. And you wonder, how could anyone, having seen the things that he do, had done, do what they did? How could anyone kill the Son of God? Well, it's easy. <laughs> they didn't believe he was the Son of God. They believed he was just another man. They believed just as Paul did when he was persecuting the church before he was saved, that these are just heretics that are going around and they need to be killed. This is God's work that we're doing. And so you see that with these individuals. We see that light is contrasted with darkness and those who are elect uh, to follow uh, the Lord during his earthly ministry in uh, John uh, 8, 12. We see the works of, uh, from darkness are contrasted with the believer uh, putting on the armor of light. And we saw that one in Romans 13 and verse 12. We see that God spoke uh, for the light to shine out from darkness in the persons of those who are saved. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6. And we see that light is contrasted with darkness in relationships between believers and unbelievers. Let's go to that one over in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14. And you see these uh, relationships that we can get into. And it's not to say that you, you shouldn't uh, have believers that are friends or you should just uh, completely isolate. I, know the, I was looking at the, uh, this Amish guy that was talking about the stuff that they did uh, during the pandemic and how they handled all of this. 
and they are completely separated from the world, right? They've isolated themselves out to their own community because they don't want to come into contact with the world at all. It's not saying that we have to do that and, and isolate ourselves out to uh, one area and you never come into contact with believers or, or unbelievers or anything like that. But it's the way that you're conducting yourselves, the relationships that we have with unbelievers. Are these relationships that tie us to these individuals? Are they uh, marriage relationships where we're, we're tied to this individual? It's not easy that you're coming out of that one, right? Those, those kind of relationships. Uh, but Second uh, Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14, pick it up in verse 13. He says, now for a recompense in the same, I speak as unto my children, be ye also enlarged. Be ye not, or stop being unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For that uh, fellowship hath right, or what fellowship, excuse me, hath uh, righteousness with unrighteousness. And what communion hath light with darkness. And what concord hath Christ with Belial. And what uh, part hath he that believeth with an unbeliever. And so you see these black and white things that are stated concerning these different groups, right? There is a contrast between a believer and an unbeliever. People want to make it, oh, no, we're all just human beings. We're all part of the the same family. No, (laughs) we're all not. We're part of the family of God, and that is not to diminish this person as a human being in any other way is simply stating what scripture says that there is a distinction between a believer and an unbeliever uh, and and the inference is as you go in uh, to the context they're going to affect you ultimately more than you're going to affect them you might think that i'm going to sit here and preach at this unbelieving person and they're going to become saved well I, I, I think probably they're going to be telling you, stop preaching at me, or they're going to be telling you, I'm going to do what I want to do. And as you see the actions and activity of how they live, eventually, I think if you're hanging around that person long enough, there's going to be the opportunity that you start acting like they're acting before they start acting like you're acting. Um, and so you see that. Uh, the reality uh, for the light uh, the believer originates as uh, contrasted with darkness, and we see that over in First Thessalonians 5.5. 5. Uh, the contrast between light and darkness is seen in the calling of the believer over in First Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. And then light is contrasted with darkness uh, in the essence of God over in First uh, John 1.5. And lastly, uh, light is contrasted with darkness in the relationship of one believer to another over in First uh, John chapter 2 and verse 8. Now, uh, our last point, we see the elements uh, of the instructions that are given from Paul uh, for these Ephesian saints to walk in light. And this instruction is provided upon the believer being followers of God. Now, uh, go with me over there to Ephesians chapter 5 and we'll look at verse 1. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1. And he says there, You are, be ye therefore followers of God. This word for followers has the idea of mimickers. Now, a lot of us have children in here, 
And when you're walking around as a parent, <laughs> what do you see children doing? Over time, you see them doing the exact same things that you do. Maybe not all of them, but they pick up on certain things and they just mimic that behavior, right? Uh, this is kind of what's at view here as we're looking at God the Father. We are to be uh, mimickers of him as dear children. Now, this word for children has the idea of born once. And there are a lot of words used for children in Scripture, and a lot of times they translate the same way. This is our word for technon, which literally means to be born out from someone. You are born out from God through the new birth. And you have the opportunity to truly be called a son of God because of that. I, I hate it when I hear people say that we've been adopted into the family of God. Well, we've not been adopted. <laughs> adopted says that you took someone who was a part of another family and placed him in this family, but he'll never be part of the physical bloodline. You can love that individual. You can do all that you want to with that individual, but he will never be a physical part of that bloodline. We are actually born again into the family of God and have subsequently not been adopted, but have been placed as sons. We've given, been given a place of uh, position and privilege in the family of God. Uh, and so that's when I, I hammer every time I go there because it's, it's just not a complete picture on what we are and what we have in Christ. It would be nice if, if we were nothing to God and he adopted us and placed us into his family. That would be great. What's even better? <laughs> Being a naturalized part of his family. That, that's an unbelievable blessing of grace that's been provided to us. Now we see, uh, again, as we're looking through the chapters here, that therefore word is very important because I believe therefore ties you to a context that's previous. Now, in this case, it this this chapter just goes on. I know everyone says chapter one is a long run on scripture, which it is because there's not any breaks in it. But the idea of, that carried from chapter one carries all the way to, to chapter five. And so that therefore covers the whole context of chapters one through four uh, prior to this. So I I didn't want to go into that. We'd be here all night and I'm sure you guys have things to do <laughs> after church. So what I did is summarize the chapters. In chapter one, we see the provisions from God that are given by grace through the son. In chapter two, we see the provisions from God contrasted with the condition of the believer prior to salvation. And so what did we see when we looked at chapter two? It says that you... And I, we were dead in trespasses and sins. We were spiritually dead. <laughs> we were born that way. Now go back there with me real quick because I just want to catch one thing that I slipped over when we were there before. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, I promise. <laughs> Somebody dared me out there. <laughs> in verse 1. <laughs> It says, and you have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the authority of the air, the spirit now working in the mature sons of disobedience, among whom also we had our conduct or manner of life in times past in the less of the, our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature born ones, there's our word for born ones, of wrath, even as others. Now, what's the important part of this? 
What's the big takeaway for us as believers? Why can I say that that former state is contrasted with what we saw in chapter 1? Well, in verse 4 it says, But God, who is rich in mercy with his, or for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together, as I did quicken, uh, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you are saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So when I say that you have a position in Christ in which God has removed us out of this darkness and placed us into his family, we have a position in Christ that we can look to. And by that position in Christ, what is activated is what's within us. And the choice is ours whether we're going to do it or not. It's always a reality that you have been saved by the grace of God, that he took you, baptized you, placed you into the family of God, and now you have the son indwelling you. But you and I have to walk it out in real time. We can live as ones that do not have that reality as part of our reality. And what does it look like? All of those works of the flesh that were talked about there before and more <laughs> with the uh, Ephesian saints. And so this idea here, keep, continue on in verse 8, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that, speaking of the faith, not of yourselves, it is the free gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. And he goes on there uh, to talk about more. So you see this in, in chapter 2, This uh, the provisions of God contrasted very directly with who we were prior to salvation. In chapter 3, we see the delivery of how to live in light of the provisions. And so he's telling them how they should be living in light of the provisions that have been provided. And then in chapter 4, the encouragement to walk in those provisions. And so as you get over to chapter 5, where he says, Therefore, be followers of God. He's speaking to what's been provided for us. He's not just telling you to do something that you don't have an ability to do. He's telling those uh, believers there, you've been provided all these things. And upon the basis of that, here's what you should do. Here's how you should conduct yourself. And so uh, this idea of as a born one of God, uh, as one that has been born out from God. The word born one, as we talked about before, Technon expresses the birth into a family. And this is... Uh, we see several places where this is used. Um, let's just go to one of them and we'll cite the other ones. But uh, the contrasted state of birth uh, for the believer is told by Paul. And remember back in uh, Ephesians chapter 2 where he talked about those ones being born ones uh, of wrath. And so that's the state we were born into. We were born into wrath. When God saved us from that, we were born again into the family of God. Uh, uh, an amazing thing there that you can uh, expound upon in other sermons if you wanted to. Uh, the indwelling Holy Spirit uh, testifies within the believer that we are born ones of God. Go with me over to uh, Romans chapter 8 and verse 16. This is a really good one. And so remember in other scriptures it says those that have not the Spirit, and I'm not thinking of the one maybe the pastor or uh, uh, Dan can think of it off the top of your head, but those that have not the Spirit, <laughs> they have not God. They're not saved. <laughs> and you see that uh, very clearly pointed out in the Scripture. But here uh, in 8.16, it's telling you too, very expressly, 
that those the spirit is the one that is testifying to the fact that we are uh, born ones of God. Pick it up there in verse 16. It says the spirit itself, really you could say himself, beareth witness with our spirit. And so the spirit, the Holy Spirit, testifies together with our human spirit, the realm in which we were saved, what? With our spirit that we are born ones of God. That word for children is our word for technon. Verse 17, and if ch children are born ones, then heirs. You see, uh, you, you guys might have possessions individually that you have on this earth, some more than others. And when you die, you might have set up a will that your children after you are supposed to be heirs of these possessions that you have, correct? My parents say they're not giving us anything. <laughs> Fend for yourselves. <laughs> no. um, but this is how things are, are set up with families. And specifically in these times, it was very important that your heirs possess, and, and particularly the heirs that came from you that you had children. Why was Abraham so concerned with having a son? He said, I don't have an heir to pass my things on to after I'm gone. And so he wanted a son for that purpose. Uh, we are born ones of God, and as such, we are heirs of certain things. Now, uh, our, our birth comes in time, so you're able to see it, a lot of those uh, possessions now. And if uh, born ones and heirs, heirs from God or belonging to God, and joint heirs together with Christ, uh, if so be, or since it is that we uh, suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us, or really there you could say because of us. Uh, for the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth on the manifestation of the sons of God, for the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who have subjected the same in hope. Because the creature uh, itself also shall be delivered from bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the born ones of God. And so you see this idea here of the many possessions that we have as a result of being born into the family of God, legitimate uh, born ones. Uh, if we went over to 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1, we could also see the manner of love from the Father is expressed in uh, that believers are called born ones belonging to God. And we won't go there, uh, but he talks about what manner of love that the Father has given unto us. And you can just hear the amazement in John's voice. He's in awe of what's been provided uh, to be called a born one of God. Uh, the believer is a legitimate member of the family of God uh, by the new birth. And we see that over in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 23. And you know what? We've got a long ways to go. I don't want to zoom through this. So what we're going to do is we're going to circle back. I've heard that term used here a lot lately. We're going to circle back next month and we'll finish this up. Um, I tried to gallop through it, but just four pages is, is a lot. It seemed like there wasn't a lot of scripture that was tied to it, but in, in retrospect, I guess it did add quite a bit. Uh, so we'll come back next month and we will finish this off. Uh, what we'll do is just to kind of introduce again where we were today just because it's such a long time in between uh, messages and we will uh, come back next week and, and tie or next month and tie this one up. <laughs> well, let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, we're grateful uh, for this day. Grateful for uh, the grace that you've given to us and uh, 
so many opportunities that we have within this life to live that out. And uh, we oftentimes are going to fall short of that. And we're grateful that your grace and your mercy, as the song says, is greater than all of our sin and that you continue uh, to make us new uh, each day and each opportunity that we need for it. And so uh, we pray that we would be uh, living out as close as we can uh, who we are in Christ and following the leading of your spirit. And in that, that you might be glorified by each of the actions that we uh, step into. These things we all pray in your son Jesus' name.